Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Beat, part of the Triple Play Fantasy Network. I am your host, Chris Torres, joined as always, or just once in a while, by Carlos Mercano and Mike Carter. Yes, you get all three of us today. We are also going to be joined by Nick Picoro of the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We're going to be talking all things Diamondbacks, a young and exciting team with lots of fantasy-relevant players to discuss. But before we get started, let me introduce my co-host directly underneath me on the screen, not in real life, that would be awkward, is Mike (laughs) Carter. You're looking beautiful and beardless, fresh off of your trip to First Pitch, Arizona. How are you, my friend? I'm great, Chris. How are you doing? I'm. I, I wish I was in Arizona. It's currently snowing outside of Chicago here, so uh, not so great. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Same here. We had our first snow of the season here in New York. So, uh, what about you, Carlos? You are in Costa Rica. Any snow down there? Oh man. Um. Um. This is like one of the times I'm really happy to be here. <laughs> when, when I hear everyone talking about snow and that that stuff. We have uh, other things, but snow is not one of them. <laughs> all good, all good. I'm so happy to be once again, uh, you know, trying to get the best information for, for our listeners. Absolutely. Well, listen, Carlos, we may need at some point this winter, me and Mike may need to make a trip down there. Get out of get out of the cold, get out of the snow. Uh, we know that uh, we can stay with you, right? And then we could even record a live podcast. Oh, in the, in, from, from the beach. Huh? All right. I like it. Sounds like a plan, guys. Pina coladas and and, and the waterman. All right, let's set it up. (laughs) So our guest isn't here yet. uh, So while we wait for him, tell me, guys, what do you hope to get out of this interview? So I'm really, uh, you know, interested because there is a bunch of uh, prospects and uh, newer guys in in the Arizona team that are really interesting. And, And we will talk about them. So I, I'd really love to, to get Nick's per- perspective on, on them. So I'm, I'm pretty much looking forward to it. All right. Yeah, absolutely. This is a, a fun team to talk about. Mike, is there anybody in particular that you're interested to know about or any, any um, I guess, bigger takeaways that you're looking for from this interview? Yeah, I'm really interested to see what Nick has to say about the outfield situation here in Arizona. Um, you know, I live in uh, Kane County, which was a single A affiliate of the Diamondbacks for many years and saw some of these guys as they were coming through. They all of a sudden have a very, very um, busy pipeline to the major leagues through their outfield. So I'm interested to hear what he has to say about how that sorts out. There's certainly some names there that might be able to help fantasy players in 2023. Yeah, I, I think that for a lot of people who are tuning in, that's also going to be at the top of their mind. There's a lot of questions. You've got Dalton Varsho, McCarthy, who was a fantasy darling last year, uh, Corbin Carroll, Kevin Smith. There, there's a lot going on there. So I'm sure our listeners are uh, going to want some help with sorting all of that out. And here to help us do that, we've got Nick Picoro of, again, azcentral.com and the Arizona Republic. Nick, thank you so much for taking the time. How are you? Hey, doing well. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, listen, we were just talking about how excited we are to to learn more about this Diamondbacks team and to get your perspective. But we always like to start out uh, by learning a little bit more about our guest. And specifically, I'd like to ask you, how did you get your start in the industry and what has your career path looked like? Um, I guess I guess it's been 
pretty flatlined for a while. I've just been doing the same job for uh, this is probably my 15th or 16th season covering the Diamondbacks. Um, I got started. um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I probably got started in journalism when I realized I wasn't going to be any good uh, at baseball, like good enough to play. You keep playing baseball and my friends started getting bigger and stronger. And I was like, uh, yeah, this isn't going to happen for me. Um, and so I think I just, I, I wanted to, to kind of be a baseball writer ever since I was in like high school and, and college and, you know, worked at the college paper and did internships and things like that. And um, yeah, I, I wound up uh, leaving Arizona briefly, came back um, and, uh, and, and wound up like covering high schools and stuff for the Republic for a little while and then got moved to be a backup Diamondbacks writer. And then uh, got moved on to the beat, and I've been I've been doing it ever since, and and enjoying it ever since. You're a franchise man, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Institutional knowledge, right? Well, that is part of the reason we wanted to have you on. We know that you are plugged into everything that's going on with the Diamondbacks. Nick, huge fan of your work. Um, I want a full disclosure here. I live in Kane County, which was where the Diamondbacks had their A affiliate for many years and so have followed your work and am a huge fan of what you've done over the course of time so thanks so much for being with us first question i have is kind of a lead-off question that we like to ask all of our guests which is what was your overall assessment of the d-backs in 2022 where do you think things kind of went right for this team and where they kind of went wrong yeah well first of all thanks for the kind words um and then yeah as, as far as the team goes it seemed like a step in the right direction in a lot of ways for these guys i mean they were kind of they're kind of bound to improve, right? I mean, it's hard to get a whole lot worse than they were in 21 when they won 52 games or whatever it was. Um, but I, I think, like, I think, I think it's easy to, you know, when you're caught up in in one of those years, it's easy to kind of, I don't know, just just to forget that, like, kind of everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong, and that that you know they're they're not this bad. Um, their pitching stayed a lot more healthy uh, in 2022. Um, and, you know, probably more importantly to the kind of overall direction of things, they just had a lot of young players that kind of stepped up and started to emerge and establish themselves. Um, and so, you know, whether it was, whether it was, you know, a, a, a full productive year out of, out of Dalton Varsho, um, you know, seeing what Jake McCarthy can do, um, you know, seeing what some of those young arms that came up late in the season uh, Corbin Carroll coming up late in the season, um, Alec Thomas showing what he can do defensively despite some struggles at the plate uh, the last couple months. There's just a lot to like. Um, there was a lot of reason to think that things are, are just coming together a little bit more. Um, it's not as much of a like kind of looking down at the farm system rankings and looking at the lists and kind of squinting and seeing like it's it was it was coming together. And I think that if they had a more competitive bullpen, um, you know, the second half of the season would have been even more successful. I, I think they probably cost themselves, I don't know. I mean, it's always hard to say a half dozen games or so um, that, that could have gone the other way um, if, if they had just had a, a little bit more consistency down there in the bullpen. Are you telling me Mark Melanson was not the answer <laughs> at closer? <laughs> Come on, yeah. stop it, man. I can't help myself. I really can't. Well, Torres and I have a side bet that Melon that he will Melanson will have twenty saves for somebody this year. We just don't know who it will be. <laughs> you, you know, it's weird. I mean I, I think uh Brent Strom was saying that they were looking at some like um I don't know that he ever told us exactly what 
what metric they were looking at, but some sort of an all-in like pitch movement, batted ball data type of number. And in a lot of ways, his year this year was not that different from the year last year when he, I think, led the majors in saves with the Padres or was up there among the league leaders, I forget. Um, so, and look, I, I watch it like there was some truth to that, I felt like, because it, it seemed like every ball that was hit was finding holes. It was just, he was constantly in, you know, leadoff base hit, like constantly with guys on base and struggling to, to get guys out. He's obviously not a good bat misser and was a really bad matchup for those extra inning situations mm-hmm. with the runner on second base when you really need to be missing bats. So I think right. he got thrown into some of those situations when he probably shouldn't have. Um, I think they probably should have gone in a different direction faster uh, and recognize that, that he's just not going to be able to kind of navigate through those innings as, as easily. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I, it, we'll see, we'll see if he can, if he can bounce back. Um, I don't think that they're really betting on it. I, I think they know that they need to add some, some guys. They added someone recently um, in Carlos Vargas. I think they want to add a, another couple mm. of, of late inning options on top of that. So We'll uh, we'll see if they can get it done. They don't have a whole lot of money to spend, but they do they do seem to have some talent and, ex- and excess that they could trade. We're we're gonna go back into that messy bullpen situation in a few minutes. But but you mentioned uh, Dalton Bar- Barsho a few moments ago, and and th- this year Barsho and, and Walker were pretty much the co- defensive core of the team, right? Um, between the two of them, that they had a BWAR of four point five the first time since two thousand and sixteen. That in the D-backs had two guys uh, in, with at least 4.5 when Waldy and Segura did it. So this is definitely the core around the in which the, the management is going to build the, the offensive in 2023, right? Yeah, I th- I think so. Um, I think that they recognize they're probably not going to be winning games the way the Phillies win games. You know, I, I think they know that they're going to have to catch the ball, um, which they, they did a really poor job of that the year before. You want to talk about like some reasons why they were bad and reasons why they were better. I mean, there were games where they were starting Pavin Smith in center field. You know, they were moving <laughs> Josh Rojas all around the diamond. Um, there, there were just guys being put in. And Cattell was, was still playing center field. Guys were just being put in situations where kind of physically they weren't either able to handle it or kind of weren't fully prepared and and uh and ready to to play that position at, at a major league level so yeah I, i think that uh i think that they're gonna expect to have at, at as of as it currently stands I and mean, I, I they're gonna have three center fielders running around out there at all times mm-hmm. all right so moving to the the uh the mound here and looking at a few of the arms who really performed well for them last year talking specifically about merrill kelly and uh zach gallon I mean, listen, they combined for almost 400 innings of really solid production. Merrill Kelly, I mean, there wasn't, I don't think, a lot of expectations for him going into the year. Finished mm-hmm. with a 3-3-7 ERA. Um, Gallon took his step forward. Is What is the outlook on those two uh, pitchers moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think we saw that that run that Gallon got on in the second half that that It, we, we've seen it from him before. I don't want to make it seem like this was something new, right? I mean, he, he came up in 2019 and was really good. He was he was terrific for all but, I 
think like two innings of the 2020 season. Um, he had like a couple of innings that went sideways on him. And otherwise he may have won the Cy Young or, or been right up there with, with Bauer and, and uh, Darvish and those guys that year. Um, you know, he, he went through some injury issues in 21, but was healthy last year and, and was awesome. I think, I think that that's the expectation is that this is a guy that's going to front a rotation and, and be a, uh, be a Cy Young type guy, a Cy Young candidate type of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Merrill was, Merrill was really good too. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of, kind of a little bit overshadowed, right. But, um, got to 200 innings. Um, I think his stuff ticked up a little bit. I, I, I think he was throwing a little bit harder. I think he had a little bit more movement on his two seamer. I think his changeup was a pitch that had kind of, he talks about how it was a really big pitch for him when he was in Korea. Um, and he never really had it consistently in the big leagues prior to, to this year. Um, it was a good pitch for him. His curveball is a good pitch for him. I mean, he's, he's got the ability to command the ball, to command all of his pitches, really, um, and, uh, and keep guys off balance. And, and we saw it. I mean, he was, he was consistently working deep into games. Um, and it was just a – it just felt like every time he took the ball, there was a pretty good chance they were, they were going to be winning that night. Um, so I think those are two guys they're, they're definitely going to be building around, and I, I think it makes it easier um, – when you have guys like that uh, to kind of start thinking about integrating young guys into a rotation, um, you know, whether it's two at a time or, or just one rookie at a time, I don't know. We'll, we'll end up seeing. Um, but I, I think knowing that there's some stability at the front um, lets you, lets you kind of start to, to do those sorts of things a little bit more easily instead of putting, putting the younger guys into, you know, those sorts of spots where they're maybe not uh, quite, Quite ready for. Mm-hmm. I think that one question that I that I'm having is that they threw a lot this last season, right? They almost combined for 400 innings pitch. So volume wise, do you think there's going to be any limitation for them next year because because of the amount of innings they pitched this year? Uh, I wouldn't think so from Merrill's perspective. I mean, he's a he's what 33, 34 years old. I I. Th- I think he's kind of he's kind of ready to just keep taking the ball every five days and, and be in that workhorse. Gallon, I think, given the injury history, yeah, they're always going to err a little bit on the side of of uh, of caution, um, and maybe not like, you know, skipping anybody in the rotation when there's an off day. You know, always making sure he gets instead of just four days, five days as often as possible. But I, I think I think he would uh, he would tell you that he he would want to pitch even more. Um, So I, I don't think so, but, but I guess we'll just have to see how it plays out. Mm-hmm. Nick, <laughs> what impact do you think Brent Strom has had on this pitching staff? And I was also wondering if you could speak a little bit more to, you, you brought up this metric that he's talked about. So I'm wondering if you could give us a little bit more insight into what exactly, come on, give us the secret sauce. <laughs> I, yeah, I wish I could. I, I remember asking him it. about it as a follow-up and he, he didn't really give me, he didn't really give me a whole lot. Um, I, like I said, I think it had something to do with like what the, how, how well the pitches were moving, how well they were being located, how hard they were being hit by opposing teams. Um, and just sort of, I, I don't know if he was, if there, if every pitch has its own expected, you know, OPS or expect if you can, if you can extrapolate some sort of an expected ERA out of it. Um, but whatever it was, he, he only referenced it really that one time. 
Um, and I tried following up with him on it afterward and he didn't give me an awful lot, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's always hard to say what kind of an impact a, a pitching coach makes. Um, I know that he's constantly working his butt off and has all kinds of ideas to try to get these guys better. I, I, you know, I, I think, um, I look, I mean, gallon, like gallon is really good. And I, I think he was before Strom got here. Um, I, I don't know. Did he, did he help with, with Merrill? Did he help with, um, you know, some of these young guys that came up? I, I know, I know he was working very closely with, with Tommy Henry on, on getting, um, getting a, a little better feel for his breaking ball later in the season. Um, you know, you would always hear, hear things throughout the course of the, uh, you know, the season that, that he was working on with guys and all the different ideas that he had. He, I guess he wasn't good enough to, to turn around Madison Bumgarner, but um, <laughs> you know, uh, with the stuff that, that that Bumgarner was featuring for most of the year, I'm not I'm not sure that there was a whole lot that could be done there. Is Bumgarner the type of guy? I mean, let's, is he one who would take, I guess, suggestions or a different way of doing things, or just from from your experience? Yeah, I I think so. Um, I I think that. I think that he's open to things, um, but I don't. I don't know that he's gonna that he's gonna stick with things for a long time if they don't work. I, mm-hmm. I think that he's a guy that that has had a lot of success doing things a certain way and, and kind of wants to default back to that. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it was interesting. We would always hear about Strom talking about Bumgarner trying to work on this, and we're working on that. Between, you know, before before his next start. You know, we're trying to get him to do this, and then he'd go out there and look exactly the same. And Bumgarner would say that he didn't really make any adjustments. So, I I don't know. Maybe he wasn't really too keen on some of the things that Strom was throwing out there. Um, and I know he hasn't been too keen on on some of the on some of the like game planning stuff. I, I he you know Bumgarner's big on on trying to read swings and and trying to think along with hitters um which a lot of guys do um you know and and again like it's something that worked really well for him for a long time so sure did uh, i don't i don't know what the answer is there yeah well listen uh, you guys i tried i wanted uh, whenever (laughs) we uh whenever us fantasy baseball nerds hear about like a new metric like our ears perk up we're we're just like oh my gosh what, what is it so uh you know, if if you ever get any info, you know, you could, uh, pass that along. To <laughs> I know where Nick. to find you. All right, yeah. <laughs> Nick. A question I had for you that I think a lot of fantasy players are are wanting to know about, and I, I mean, just baseball fans in general. The Diamondbacks have a ton of outfield prospects at this at this time, and I I know that they just DFA'd Stone Garrett this uh, last uh, couple of days. Jake McCarthy and Josh Rojas were guys that were really helpful to fantasy players down the stretch last year, but there's a crowded pipeline here. How do you see this thing shaking out with Carroll and Hummel and Alec Thomas, Varsho? Is there a realistic playing playing time path for any of these guys? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think you can pencil in Corbin Carroll is getting a lot of the bats. I think you can pencil in Varsho is getting a lot of the bats. I, and look, I mean, based on the way that McCarthy played, I don't know how you don't you know, expect him to play a lot as well. Um, I I think that they're probably going to add a right-handed hitting outfielder. I mean, they got rid of two of them the other day with, with Luplo and uh, Stone Garrett both getting DFA'd, and they just want a little bit more balance out there. Maybe that comes in the form 
of trading one of these outfielders. Maybe they maybe they flip Alec Thomas or McCarthy or or whoever Varsho, um, and get back a similarly controllable right-handed hitter that kind of just does some things that these other guys, you know, don't do. Just I mean, look, this was a team that that was a little susceptible against left-handed pitching. They need mm-hmm. to get some of that. They need to get some balance where they need. Carson Kelly to be more consistent, Ketel Marte to be more consistent, Christian Walker, you know, keep doing what he did. Um, Emmanuel Rivera was a was an interesting player there in the second half. But yeah, um, I I don't know how how that's going to shake out for a lot of these guys. I mean, there's there's other guys in the system. Even you know, Dominic Fletcher just got added to the forty. Dominic Canzone got left off. Jorge Barosa got added. Like, I don't know how these guys have a real path to. It's a big league opportunity at the moment with, I mean, it's not just that they're blocked by, you know, it's not, not just that there are guys that are starters ahead of them. It's guys that have like five, six years of control out of them. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know where it goes, but um, I, I mean, look, we've all, we've all seen situations change really fast in baseball. If it's, it's injury or, or somebody doesn't play well, somebody else pops up and, and dominates and suddenly the picture looks totally different um, by the middle of June. So I, I I don't know what to, you know, how it's going to play out exactly, but um, yeah, it, it does look it does look tough for some of these guys. Mm-hmm. Definitely, and, and and you mentioned uh, Marty, and um, he's just recently from from getting his long term contract, but things weren't that well for him this this year. So it's, might there be something we should be worried about because he he he's usually a fantasy darling, you know. <laughs> and Kittel was really really helpful in a lot of cats, but he was underwhelming this year. Uh, might there be still some injuries lingering? Or what's the feeling in, from from the team? Are are they worried about him, or, or, or let's just chalk it up to a bad year and, and that's it? Um. I don't know. Um, probably a little of both. Uh, he never really did get going this year. Um, yeah. It wasn't a bad year. I mean, he made a lot of contact. He he played a lot of games, which for him over the last several years has, has been an issue, staying on the field. Um, he had a couple of small little hamstring things, but, but you know, was able to get back in there in DH and, and stay in the lineup. But, uh, you know, he didn't hit lefties with the same kind of authority yeah. that he has in the past. Um, you know, his his swing from the left side was just okay. Um, it almost looked like at times he was just kind of trying to, to – like he was hunting singles at times and not looking to kind of mm-hmm. be that, um, that masher that we saw, particularly late in the 2019 season. I think he lost a little bit of athleticism. I'm not sure why, and I'm not sure if it can be if it can be rediscovered or not. I, I'm sh- I'm sure that they're hoping that you know different workouts and exercises and, th- and things, and, and maybe a little bit more focus on 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 that, you know, on on explosiveness and instead of um, bulk strength, um, maybe gets that back. I, if I'm them, I'm a little bit more concerned about what I saw defensively from him. Um, especially with the shift going away um, and what that's going to mean um, going forward to, you know, your ability to kind of keep him comfortably in the lineup and games. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it seems like it's backed up fast. I mean, it was just a couple of years ago, a few years ago that, that he was a pretty decent option at shortstop. Um, I don't know. Um, I felt like there were stretches this year. There were, 
little pockets where he kind of looked like his old self, but it, it just didn't, it just didn't last. And I'm, I know you started off the question asking about injuries. I don't know. It, it, that, that is a thing that, that I wonder about it. I feel like he's, he's always kind of been a kind of a ride the wave type of guy. And sometimes if, if he's not feeling great, you, you can see it in his body language, you know? So uh, it's an interesting one. Um, it's, it's funny. Uh, it feels like when people talk about the Diamondbacks and the and the future, we sort of forget that this was a guy that was like high up on MVP ballots yeah. in mm-hmm. 2019, yeah. um, and still has that in there, I guess. But you know, it's also interesting that like you can kind of you can kind of imagine this path to them being a competitive team again, where Cattell's hitting like sixth or seventh, right? Mm-hmm. You know? So I don't know how it's going to play out. I I, I guess that. Um, if they had that guy from before, it would be a whole lot easier to kind of see them as, as that contending team. But also, um, if Corbin Carroll becomes what they think he is, if, if Varsho can get a little bit more consistent, if McCarthy can be the guy that he was for that, you know, six week stretch there in the second half and so on and so on, um, then they, they could be just fine. And, and, you know, I guess, I guess the contract not, it's even if it's even if it's just kind of the sort of season you have this year is it really it's not that bad of a contract mm-hmm. uh, so i don't know we'll, we'll see yeah nick as he's there there definitely is a path to this team being competitive right they, they've got some pieces there but you spoke earlier about the bullpen and that that really is uh an area where the team needs to improve if um if they are going to be competitive so what are your thoughts on that as far as uh, any potential moves? I know they made a move the other day for Carlos Vargas, but do you see any other uh, signings or any additions uh, that will be made to this bullpen? And do you think the closer of this team is on the roster now? I don't know that one. That's a really good one. Um, I, I think that from talking to Hazen last week at the GM meetings, it sounded like he wasn't expecting to be a big player in the, in the, the free agent relief market. He made it kind of sound like I think the way he, he put it to me is we're going to have to take some chances on guys. If we're going to get that power that we need in the bullpen. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the, one of the things he, one of the examples he made, he, he threw out there was maybe taking some chances on guys that are health risks, you know? Um, I don't know. I, I, I kind of glanced at the, the free agent list and, and throughout, you know, Trevor May or Trevor Rosenthal, or uh, I think I mentioned Ken Giles, you know, guys that are coming off injury, like, you know, have done it in the somewhat recent past. Um, maybe, maybe could, could catch lightning in a bottle and, and be it again. But I, I, I think that more than likely they're going to have to find somebody else in a, in a trade um, to, to add to that group that they have now. I mean, Justin Martinez is on the roster. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, but he was uh, he was an impressive uh, he put on an impressive show in the fall league um, guy coming back from Tommy John uh, who threw, I don't know, 30 some innings maybe this year in the minor leagues. I might might be off on that, but he um, has a upper 90s heater, a slider, and then he's got this this like split change that he developed over the last couple of years that's turned into a a really nasty pitch. and suddenly as a guy that was added to the 40 man roster, despite very limited career experience uh, because of the injury and the pandemic um, <clears throat> that all of a sudden looks like a guy who's going to be in their bullpen at some point next year and, and maybe help them get that power that they need. Vargas is another guy. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if, if, uh, if you would consider Kevin Ginkle or, 
you know, um, I'm sure there's others I'm forgetting. I mean, Mantiply had a nice season. Um, Kyle Nelson had a nice season. Um, and, you know, th- there, there's others internally. Um, but I, I would expect that they're probably going to be trading for, for another, um, another bullpen piece, at, at least one more bef- before this is all said and done. Do you think it's going to be more in line with like the Melanson signing last year, like maybe a, a veteran guy to, to come in or, or do you see them go in a different direction? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, if, if they, if they can trade for, I mean, you saw the, the, the reliever, the Mariners traded for Hernandez, um, you know, maybe they get a guy that's, that's uh, had some experience or, or maybe is a, a little bit later in terms of control and, and they can give up a prospect to get a couple of years of control of a, of a guy. Um, I would think that they would want to have somebody that, that has done it before um, right. rather than having, you know, Vargas and Martinez are really interesting arms, but there's questions, of course. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would think that they would want to get someone. Um, I don't, I don't think that they're going to go down that road of like the kind of what they've done more recently of, of the, I mean, the, the Mike Hazen years of, of closers, I think goes, let's see, Fernando Rodney, Brad Boxberger, Greg Holland, Joaquin Soria, uh, well, Archie Bradley one year before mm-hmm. that, Soria, and then and then Melanson this year. I think that's everybody. So, I mean, it's a lot of older kind of retread guys that, yeah. you know. There's a powder. There's a pipe. <laughs> yeah. yeah I think Rodney gave, gives them, gave them some power that they didn't have. Um, mm-hmm. Also, also gave them heartburn i'm sure um <laughs> and then like you know like like soria was okay for a, a bit uh holland was had had a couple months maybe two and a half months stretch where he was pretty good um boxberger wasn't bad for a while so i mean they've been able to get like pockets of effectiveness out of effectiveness out of these guys but you know i'm i'm just guessing that they're gonna that they're gonna probably try to err on the side of of a little bit more prime aged guys I'll trade you Kendall Graveman for Alec Thomas straight up. <laughs> no, I, I wish I wish I could uh, have that power to do that because I love Alec Thomas. He's a local guy and he's a really really good person. Um, Nick, kind of switching gears a little bit. You know, you kind of started to talk a little bit about Hazen and talking with him last week and his vision and strategy for building the team. Anything that you could kind of shed light on with that for us, and and you know maybe talk a little bit about the current chemistry of the team and if it seems like it's gelling in a, a good direction. Yeah, I mean, I I think that they feel pretty good about the way things are going. Um, I I think that he's trying to make sure that that they sort of stay disciplined and I guess like keep expectations at like a, a reasonable place. Right. Um, I, I think he's, you know, he, he said something to me about like, look, you know, we know we're not going to be on paper going into next year as a, as division favorites. Right. I mean, we, we need to kind of act accordingly. Like we want to get better. We want to add players to this roster. We want to have a, a team that can get into, you know, July and August and be adding ahead of the deadline. Um, but like, we don't, we're not going to be trading guys that we see as having, you know, six years of, of impact on this roster for, uh, you know, a one year rental, two year rental. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I, I think, uh, I, I think they're encouraged by the way everything has gone. Um, I think they're encouraged by the, by the way that those pitchers came up and through late in the season. 
Um, I think that they feel like they have a, a decent amount of, of starting pitching depth at the upper levels, um, including guys that were all throwing, you know, whether it's whether it was Nelson and Jameson and um, Tommy Henry, uh, Brandon Fott, uh, Slade Ciccone, you know, people like that that are, you know, I think all those guys I mentioned were college, college starters. Um, well, college pitchers, maybe they weren't starters but anyway they've all been built up to like 160 180 innings and and they're and they're physically mature guys that can handle workloads so i think they're feeling pretty good about about where that is the outfield depth obviously we talked about um there's just some areas that they want to shore up and they they want to see if they can kind of flip some of this these young controllable pieces that they have in excess for those young controllable pieces that would fit a little bit better on the roster Makes sense. So, so probably they they won't they will not be looking for for an arm for their rotation in in, in during the you know the the off season. So most probably they will be working around other holes in the in the in the roster, well, right? Yeah, I think you know we mentioned Bumgarner. I and Kyle, or sorry, uh, Zach Davies. Um, Zach Davies was is a free agent. Um, so I. I I think that with with Bumgarner's situation being so uncertain, you know, I I would guess that they'll, you know, end up sticking with him through this offseason, seeing how he looks into next year. And if it's bad, if it looks the way that it looked for a lot of August and September, maybe they gotta go in a different direction if they're really gonna try to compete. You you can't you can't keep kind of, you know, giving away games like that. Yeah. Um, that you know that that does kind of suddenly mean that you're going to be dipping even more into that pitching depth. So look, I think I think they would like to add a, a starter, um, but I I think I think I asked Hazen this. I think he said it was a little bit more of a want than a than a need. You know. Okay. Like a nice like, thing to have. Yeah. Like, and I don't I don't think that it's a thing they're going to be targeting and being super aggressive and giving up a big piece for. But if they can spend, you know, five to eight million dollars on a guy for one year that, you know, sort of like Davies was, right? A little like a mm-hmm. bounce back guy that they feel good about that can give them some depth and 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 some innings. I think they would they would probably consider that. You mentioned earlier that one thing the Diamondbacks will probably be in the market for is a right-handed hitter. You talked about maybe a trade. Um, giving away some of their outfield depth. Do you see any other additions to this offense? Um, well, I think that if they were to trade one of those outfielders, um, like I, I think the DH right now is an opportunity to get these guys at bats, right. To keep everybody active. Um, I think that if they were to trade, um, one of those outfielders that would possibly change things a little bit and, and make it a little bit more likely that they go and add a kind of a pure DH type of. I, I don't know, you know, JD Martinez is a good name. I don't know if he fits in their budget, what what how that works, how that looks exactly. Um I think that they, you know, whether it's right-handed hitting outfield or right-handed hitting third baseman, I think that makes sense. Um I think another catcher is a is another position that they've talked about. Um I I I I think that it's more of a compliment Carson Kelly type of of player that we're talking about here rather than a 
you know, just straight um, replace, you know, or upgrade over. Mm-hmm. Um, they could certainly upgrade at shortstop, but the thing there is they've got a lot of interesting options coming, right? So I don't know that you want to make a huge commitment to someone at that position when Jordan Lawler is not that far away and Blaze Alexander, who they just added to the 40, is even closer and is coming off a really encouraging season in double A. Um, yeah, those are probably the spots that, that make the most sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I saw one of your articles where you talked about uh, Mike Hazen. He's from the Red Sox, right? And he was there when David Ortiz was uh, their DH. So the idea that maybe he looks to have more of a, a player who just fits into that role. Man, J.D. Martinez, that seems like such a, a logical fit, a guy who can mash lefties and uh, you know, kind of just you, you plug him in every day at DH. That would, uh, that would be interesting and, and a veteran presence for this young team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, and I think that that last part that you mentioned is something that they're they're very interested in, and mm-hmm. and have different people in the organization have talked about how they'd like to have that kind of that kind of veteran position player to kind of help. Um, I I I think some of the down periods got a little extended, you know, and maybe having a a, a veteran that can kind of help guide guys through it mm-hmm. um, would would be a good thing. Nick, you mentioned uh, Lawler and um, Blaze Alexander being relatively close to the show here. Um, how do you see the playing time situation sorting out at shortstop between Nick Ahmed and Perdomo next year? I mean, obviously, both of them probably appear to be more stopgap guys, although Perdomo did have a very interesting pedigree in the lower minors. How do you see that playing out? That's a good question. I I would guess that Ahmed you could and and we have to assume that he's going to come back healthy and and everything's going to be fine um from his surgery he had a a shoulder procedure that was i think fairly significant um so i guess it's no sure thing that he will but assuming he does he had always been a guy that that hit left-handed pitching pretty well i mean he wasn't a monster against them but relative to how he did against righties he he hit them pretty well he was a competitive bat. i mean he was good enough that a lot of times tori lavella would lead nick ahmed off against left-handed pitching so you would think that he would get most of the at-bats there. Um, and I don't know. I mean, if he's if he's rolling, I, I would think that they would just keep riding him, even against right-handers. Um, I don't think they want to completely forget about Perdomo. Um, and so that'll be interesting, you know, whether it's a, a situation where they think they can find enough at-bats for him um, and keep him involved and, and move him around, or, or if it's a situation where he ends up down in Reno uh, continuing to develop. Perdomo had... Um, told me at the end of the season that he was really excited going into the winter because he was going to be hitting with uh, Jose Ramirez and uh, trying to learn some things about the way that he goes about his business and, and, you know, what kind of things he's looking for at the plate. I don't know how much those plans change. I know Ramirez had a, some kind of a hand surgery or some kind of a surgery. Um, But, uh, but yeah, Perdomo's Perdomo's a motivated guy. Um, I don't think he's ever been the caliber of hitter of a lot of these other prospects that they have in the system. Mm -hmm. But he's always had an idea at the plate, and you know there were stretches. Uh, gosh, at the end of last year, at the end of twenty one, it looked like a really interesting offensive player who kind of was suddenly clued into the uh, to the to the realization that he could do damage. And it never really felt like he got there again in twenty two. Like he kind of just felt like he was feeling his way through at bats a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, every now and then he'd put a really good swing on a ball, but couldn't do it consistently. So. Um, he's a hard one to, to say. His defense was very good, especially in the second half. So um, he's not a liability there. 
Um, but I, I do think, I mean, starting with the, the fact that, that Ahmed's got that contract, he's a, a veteran, mm -hmm. he's experienced, he's, he's performed, he's been on winning teams before he would be the, the, the guy that I would think would get the, the first crack at, at regular bats. And speaking of, of playing time, did we already see the last at bats of Dalton show as a catcher? Yeah, it sounds like it. He, he even said that late in the year, I think in August, um, after uh after corbin carroll got promoted when it kind of started to to be a little bit of a crowded outfield situation and it seemed like it would make sense for um for varsho to to get a few starts here and there to to, to open up the bats behind the plate he he kind of admitted that he had he had talked to the team about you know i don't think i want to do this anymore and i think he realized how good he was of a defender in the outfield until this year Uh, he was a gold glove finalist and, and you could make an argument he should have won a gold glove um and uh and i think um i think he also realized that you know catching is dangerous you know it, it, yeah, his right. career can be a lot longer if he stays yeah. in the outfield all right so these next two players i'm going to ask about because they kind of uh i feel like they they kind of fit in similar similar category uh it's ryan nelson and Dre jameson so i want to get a sense from you Do you feel that they are definitely going to start the season in the rotation? And what is the team's outlook for them this season? I think they're going to have a chance to compete for rotation spots. I don't think either of them you would you would necessarily be able to bet on. Um, Nelson, I think, looks like the more surefire starter long term. Um, I don't know who would have the leg up coming into next year necessarily. I don't know that it, that it, one of them should really. You know, I, I think they both pitched really well late. Um, and maybe whoever looks the best in spring training, I, I could see kind of, you know, I don't, you don't think you really want to do too much spring training evaluating, but, but if a guy's stuff looks better than another guy's in spring, that, that there's something to that. Um, I think Jameson still has some things to prove in terms of being a starter long-term in terms of kind of being able to have consistently sharp command. Um, but uh you know the way his two-seamer moves his slider has always been a weapon um he's a really good athlete a really good competitor um i i think he answered a lot of questions i think he i think he quieted a lot of doubters with the way that he pitched i think it was four starts down the stretch the way he pitched in those in those starts i think um made a lot more people think that this guy can can be a an effective big league starter over the long term than than maybe thought uh, weeks earlier right in august when he was putting up a six or seven something ERA in Reno. Um, yeah, I, I think those guys, I think Brandon Fott is going to come to camp with a, a chance to win a job, um, probably a little bit behind those guys. So, so maybe we'll have to wait his turn a little bit if, if those guys are throwing well. Um, but, but those are, you know, Tommy Henry as well. I mentioned him earlier. I think those are the guys that are going to come in kind of vying for whatever spots, spot or spots are open in the rotation. I, I, I like Ryan Nelson a lot. I hope he, it's him because the guy is amazing. But as you say, it, it, it can be, you know, a little tricky to, to find out just yet. So there are three guys that we've already talked about. Carol, Lawler, and Dre Jameson. If you were to bet, who do you think has the biggest impact? Carol, right? Uh, on next year? Oh, or from a dynasty perspective, maybe. Uh, okay. It would be a better, a better question. Carol Lawler or who? Or Jameson? Um, yeah, you'd have to bet on Corbin Carroll. I, I don't. I don't know how you'd bet against him based on just the 
the track record of performance um, at this point. Uh, but look, I mean, Lawler might have a little bit more pure power. Um, and I guess if you're talking about fantasy perspective, if it's a guy that's going to be able to stick at shortstop versus a, an outfielder, um, I, I, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's crazy to imagine a, a you know, Lawler being the best of the bunch. It's also mm-hmm. not crazy to imagine Drew Jones being being even better than those guys, especially talking to to some of the amateur guys that that saw uh, Drew's career in high school and and on the amateur circuit. Um, you know, it, you can't really like make that bet right now, right? I mean, it, he's never played professionally. He's he's uh, coming off an injury, a surgery. Um, but yeah, I mean, Corbin Carroll has uh, elite hand eye, elite you know, swing decisions, um, really loud exit velocities. Um, you know, there's the ability to, to hit balls hard all the time. Um, and has performed at the highest levels and look, I mean, look what he did. He hit what he hit 260 with a, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I think he had a 330 on base and a 500 slug if I'm remembering right in his, in those five weeks in the big leagues, he never got hot. Now, I mean, he wasn't playing every single day. They were, mm-hmm. they were making sure that he was going to be rookie eligible so he could, you know, go for the award and go for the draft pick next year. Um, but, like, he had a 130 OPS plus or WRC plus, whatever you want to look at, something like that, and he never got hot. I mean, I think mm-hmm. that's kind of crazy. Like, I, I think this is possibly a really special player. All right, Nick. So we've got a couple of rapid-fire questions for you. So just looking for some one-word answers uh, to these and Carlos, why'd you have to do this to me? Because the the first player here as a Yankee <laughs> fan, just it hurts me. It hurts me to think about to say his name, but uh, Luis Gonzalez. <laughs> Luis Gonzalez. Um, I guess he's just. I, I guess I'll go with Icon. Icon. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm to you and to Arizona. Me too. Me too. Me too. Okay. An icon for me too. <laughs> Favorite past. <laughs> Favorite past or current Diamondbacks player? Oh gosh, I have to I have to go with one. Yep, <laughs> I can't do that. Um, All right, give me three. Okay, guys that I liked covering the most. I loved covering. I was only I was I only got to cover him very briefly, but I really I really like covering Max Scherzer, um, who you probably people probably forget was ever a Diamondback. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Dan Heron. And Miguel Montero. Okay. Oh, yeah, Dan Heron. He's he always seems like such an interesting guy. Interesting guy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one player who you think may surprise us this year. Um. Well, I mean, I don't know. Like, I I feel like I feel like you can kind of pick anybody on this roster, and most people externally won't know a whole lot about him, right? Like, if I were to say Jake McCarthy. People that follow the game closely and, and know about him won't be all that surprised. So I feel like that's not really the answer you're looking for. Maybe I, I mean I guess I guess like if you look at what Brandon Fott did last season in the minor leagues, um, I think he struck out more batters than anybody in the minors since the 2001 season. Um, and uh, and I, I just don't think that I hear him talked about enough as like an elite pitching prospect. I know that he doesn't have the he doesn't throw 99. He doesn't have like a, a one of those pitching ninja sliders, you know. <laughs> but but like at some point, like 
when you miss that many bats and you pitch that well at really uh, hitter friendly environments, um, you're you're nasty. There's something you're doing that that's mm-hmm. nasty. Um, so I mean, I guess that's a guy that like people people don't know how to pronounce his name. People don't know who he is. He came out of out of a tiny college and the end of the pandemic draft. Like, I, I, I think he's probably a pretty good under the radar guy in a sense, even though, I mean, he's going to end up on like top 100 lists, but mm-hmm. I don't think mm-hmm. people realize quite how good he is. Yeah. So. Last name is, is fought, but uh silent P right. His last name begins with the P. So P F yeah, two A's. D-T. Yeah. That's an yeah. odd, odd spelling. Well, Nick, that was 178 words, but we'll, we'll allow it. Um, <laughs> um, have you ever played fantasy baseball? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I play fantasy baseball. Nice. Yeah. Uh, I, that's I good to some, know. I have some of these guys on my roster. You asked, I like how you asked me about uh, Jameson and Nelson and who has a better I've, I've got both of those guys on my keeper team. So. <laughs> that's oh, awesome. Yeah. There you go. So if you got them on your keeper teams, that's a little hint. You know, we, we should all be paying attention. <laughs> Nick, as we get close to wrapping up here, um, any fun or interesting story that you could share with us about your time covering the Diamondbacks, something that was really kind of cool or funny? Oh, gosh. I don't know, man. Um, uh, I feel like it's just been it's been all sad times lately. The way this, <laughs> the way this franchise has been playing. No, I don't know. I mean, we have a lot of fun. Steve Gilbert, MLB.com, and I are been on the beat for a long time together. We we keep each other sane. Um, we've had a good good clubhouse, a good group of guys to cover for the last several years. Um, so there's, I feel like there's just kind of too many to too many guys that that we goof around with to to single out any one story. But we, yeah, we 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 keep ourselves uh, we keep ourselves laughing pretty often. Who's the funniest player on the team right now? Oh man, um, I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to run through the clubhouse. McCarthy is an entertaining guy. Okay. Um, I was complimenting, or not comp. I was just commenting on the fact that he had a he had he was like crushing a. Um, do you remember those fruit by the foot? Like he had a, a package oh, yeah. of fruit by the foot that he pulled out of the kitchen in Milwaukee the last weekend of the season, the last series of the season. Like oh my gosh, I haven't had one of those in forever. He's like, hold on. He like went into the kitchen and grabbed me a fruit by the foot. I'm like, I can't accept that. He's like, no, have it. So wow, is um, that a perk of being a major league player? Because I don't, I don't see those anywhere. So I, I guess they still exist. Yeah, who knew? Yeah. Right? Wow, man, I had um, a lot of those during uh, during grade school. Man, yeah, Carson Kelly's a lot of fun. He's a, he's a funny guy. He's a good dude to cover. So there's they've got a good clubhouse. There's a lot of funny guys. Nice. All right. Well, Nick, this has been super helpful, really informative. Thank you so much for for being so generous with your time here. I just want to give you a moment to um, tell our listeners where they can find your work. Yeah. uh, Go to Arizona Republic's website, azcentral.com. I usually tweet out all of my stories, and my Twitter is at Nick Picoro. It's N-I-C-K-P-I-E-C-O-R-O. Thanks for having me on, you guys. All Thanks right. for being on with us. It was wonderful. Yeah, Thanks thank a you lot. again, and we're going to take a quick break. Welcome back about our interview with Nick Bacoro. I thought it was there was a lot of information there. What were some of the main takeaways uh, from the interview for you? 
isn't he just an amazing guy? Just a fountain of knowledge, you know, just to, off the top of his head, being able to talk about all that stuff is pretty amazing to me. Um, I think my biggest takeaway Torres was him talking about the outfield and the outfield situation with the log jam of players that they had there. You know, obviously this week they designated for assignment Garrett and Luplo, um, but they're left with a bevy of other options that they have there. And he mentioned in the interview that Corbin Carroll and Jake McCarthy were going to be starters uh, seemingly uh, pretty certain that they were going to be starters for the Diamondbacks going into the season. And there's really no reason to think that that would not be the case other than the glut of other players that they have there. The one guy that I really like that he did not say much about is Alec Thomas, who is a local guy here from Chicago, uh, went to Mount Carmel High School, played single A ball here out in Kane County, which is in my backyard from where I live. Super kind guy. A lot of people here are rooting for him. He was coming to the stands and signing autographs for the kids after the games, was out there running the bases with them after games and stuff like that. Just a really good guy. And he's a really outstanding center fielder defensively. And so I think that there's a path to playing time there for him. If he does get a path to playing time there, he could be a very sneaky double-digit producer in home runs and stolen bases, although he did struggle with the bat as the season wore on. I'm not really sure what happened there, if he was worn out, if he got tired from playing every day, the rigors of travel, what it might be. Um, but he's a really solid player there. And I thought it was also really interesting too, Chris, when he talked about uh, Varsho uh, really not you know, catching anymore and not wanting to catch anymore. I thought that would be a really interesting path to get more playing time for some of these guys, but it really sounded, to me anyway, that Varsho would not be catching. What did you get out of that? Yeah, I found that interesting, especially because he brought up how they're looking for somebody to spell Carson Kelly, right? And it would seem logical that you have a guy who came up as a catcher, uh, that he could be that guy. And it also gives you more roster flexibility, right? Because it sounds like they're going to bring it, they're looking to bring in uh, a veteran uh, backup catcher. And that really. That's taken up a roster spot. So I, I found it interesting, but I guess Varsho is just not uh, personally just is not crazy about the idea. I don't blame him, right? Because there's so much wear and tear that goes on your body at that position. So uh, I found that interesting. And specifically as it relates to fantasy, those who have Varsho uh, in dynasty leagues are at least going to have to think about, yeah, you got catcher eligibility this year, but in 2024, that's probably going away. Yeah, which really dings his value, right? I mean, he's not nearly as valuable as an outfielder as he is as a catcher. Right, right. So uh, this year, let's let's enjoy it. Let's enjoy this, what is likely to be the last Varsho catcher season. <laughs> he's uh, currently the uh, first Diamondback that is being drafted in these early drafts. And uh, ADP that I'm about to cite here is courtesy of... Uh, NFBC, there's been 18 draft champions leagues that have been done. So Varsho is currently at uh, an ADP of 58. So, uh, and again, catcher outfield eligibility. Just first glance, Mike, I know that you haven't uh, really looked too much in ADP yet, but your your gut reaction, is Varsho a guy that you're going to be, you think you'll be targeting around that ADP? Well, especially in two catcher leagues, absolutely. Yes, yeah. for sure. Um, single catcher leagues, I'm leaning right now, I think, towards waiting a little bit. Um, I don't know. I feel like there's maybe eight or ten guys that I would feel relatively comfortable with taking uh, after the top uh, two or three are gone. 
Uh, a few other names here. I really wanted to focus on someone that Nick brought up, uh, Cattell Marte. We, we talked a bit about him, and, and Nick talked about just some of the – he seemed kind of at a loss, too, for what happened with him last year. He said that maybe he lost some athleticism. Um, you know, we know Cattell Marte has had his injury issues. He's had uh, been on the IL multiple times with injuries to both hamstrings. So, Mike, is is he someone – now, you're getting a big discount on him this year. Down at 180 mm-hmm. ADP when he was going, you know, definitely in the top 100 last year. Um, do you see yourself targeting him at that discounted price? I think I could, and I'll tell you why. I think at that point I'm already going to have my middle infield guys uh, locked in, right? So you're going to have a shortstop. You're going to have a second baseman locked in. And I don't mind taking a risk on a middle infielder or a corner infielder uh, at this point of a draft, knowing that I might be able to churn them if they're not somebody that's going to be productive for my team. And Marte, I think, has a history of having been productive. But what concerns me here is the lack of stolen base potential. He used to have a much higher uh, threshold for stealing bases. Last year, I think he only stole five Um, And with hamstring issues, we know that those don't necessarily go away. And with being another year older, it doesn't bode well for his ability to run. So I think if I'm getting him at a discount, I'll consider it. I I would not want him as my starter at second base. I don't think anybody would really want to do that uh, in the types of leagues that we're talking about here. But I think that there's definitely a a play there where, you know, the upside there might be that he gets 20 20 or 25 home runs. and, And that's nothing to shake a stick at there either. Um, I'm a little worried about the legs. At this point, though, in the draft, I think that I would take the opportunity and take a chance on him if the chance presented itself in an appropriate fashion for me. Yeah, those injuries are concerning, and specifically as it relates to his fantasy production, right? Like, I I don't see the steals really coming back. We know he wasn't a prolific base stealer at any point, but, uh, you know, he gave us, let's see, yeah, he gave you 10, 11, so double-digit bags is is uh can be valuable but i i just don't see that even with the new rules uh because they're going to want to keep him on the field uh i do think there's he's going to bounce back i think in in terms of average he batted 240 last year which was really uh, an outlier for him i mean he's been up in the 300s a few times uh so steamer has him projected for a 267 batting average uh, with uh, um, 17 home runs. So I think he got a little unlucky last year. Mm-hmm. But I think for me, it's just... And he also lost outfield eligibility. We should also yeah. point that out. So he's just at yep. second base. Uh, probably another player I'm not going to be crazy about. I just don't feel like Cattell Marte is a player that can beat me. And, and that is a question mm-hmm. I always ask myself when I'm torn on a player. Um, you know, can the, if, if I don't have this player... And he hits his upside. Am I gonna be? Am I gonna be? You know, SOL. All right. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that Cattell um, Marte is really one of those players. So no, nope. probably you're, that's, for me. That's a really fair statement to make. I think. I, I wonder though if you know they were talking about trading, and and I, I wonder if he's a guy that would be a trade candidate. I mean, I, I know that they owe him a lot of money. Um, but as I recall, it wasn't a ludicrous contract. I wonder if maybe he's a guy that they moved to try to free up some at bats at the second base spot, um, you know, for, for someone else. I mean, Nick did mention that he saw some potential for success with him betting further down in the order, which maybe makes him a little more interesting as well from a a run creation standpoint, right? 
Yeah, well, that kind of stuck out as a negative to me, though, because one of the things that's made him valuable, right, is that he hits at the top of the order. So, you know, the Diamondbacks now are, are getting these these young, good hitters. If Marte, say, struggles a little bit and these other guys emerge, are we going to see him hitting sixth or seventh where you're losing quite a bit of at-bats over a course of a season? In, in that scenario, then he's definitely not beating me, right? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So... I probably at that point I'm probably just hoping to break even on that pick. So again, not someone that uh, that I'm going to be super enthusiastic about. Uh, moving on to some of these pitchers here, Zach Gallen has an ADP of 76. Mike, would you be comfortable uh, leaving a draft with Zach Gallen as your SP one? Yes, and I think he's the last guy that I would say that about on the list, right? I mean, I I, I think pitching is going to be a really interesting thing to watch this year. I think and um, I would be fine with him as my SP one coming out of there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. So I think he he's a good pitcher, right? Uh, he was a little fortunate, I think, in terms of BABIP and and some of the luck metrics there. Uh, probably someone I'm I'm going to be much more comfortable with uh, as my SP two. Sure. Something something as well that I'm I think I'm taking away from last year based on my experience with my main event team. Again, I had a lot of problems with that team, but the two <laughs> things that kept me afloat were I drafted two pitchers in the first three rounds and drafted those early catchers. So I, I think it's so important. If you're playing in a 15-team league, you want to get that volume. You want to get that those strikeouts at the very beginning. So Gallon, I think it would be too late for me. He's not a huge strikeout guy to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm pulling up here. His K- what about what about with the volume of his innings though? I mean, like if he threw over 180 innings last year, right? I think he ended up close to 200 strikeouts, even though I don't think he got there. Yeah, ended with 192 strikeouts. Um, gave you 184 innings. But Nick did say, like, if there's anybody that they're gonna err on the side of caution with, it'd probably mm-hmm. be him because he is really gonna be a centerpiece of their team moving forward. So. I think we probably steamer has him for 182 innings. I think that's a, a fair projection. Um, so yeah, at that price though, I want more than than innings. Like I could find those innings. That's true. Innings later. I mean, not that Merrill Kelly is in the same uh, category as a Zach Gallen, but he's going to pick 250. And I know mm-hmm. he's he's one of those guys who is not sure. not exciting, but could probably depend on. Uh, for some innings here, so well, and just on the other, last, I'm sorry. Last thing on Gallon, he had a 2.54 ERA. XFIP was 3.32. So mm-hmm. I think he's due for a little bit of regression there. Uh, so I, I think he's fine, but you know, probably throw, I'll throw him in that bucket of guys. I'll take at a discount. Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing you got to worry about with him too is wins, right? I mean, you you want to try to get some wins out of the, out of your your stud there, and if he's a second, if he's your second guy, I think you're in great shape. Um, but you're right. I mean, I I my, my strategy probably will be that I will not have him as my ace. Would I feel comfortable doing it, depending on how I build? Yes, uh, but I would prefer him as a number two as well. All right, so uh, Merrill Kelly, just running through a quick uh, few ADPs here. He's at 251. Oh, how could I skip over my favorite player in the Diamondbacks, Jake McCarthy. He was um, someone that carried myself and a lot of other teams down the stretch last season. 
So he's going to be an interesting guy, right? So wasn't really a huge prospect. Uh, came up last year, lit the league on fire, was stealing bases uh, like crazy. He's going at an ADP of 150. So tell me, is he someone that you're going to be interested in? Boy, I'm, I am really interested in him just from the standpoint of the stolen base perspective. I mean, that's pretty wild what he was able to do. Um, I feel like that ADP is not going to stay there and there's going to be a lot of helium with this guy. Um, I'm guessing that I probably don't get him. Um, he's another guy, like you were saying before, for me, thinking that if I don't get him, am I going to be really disappointed? And probably not. I'm, I'm a little concerned just kind of looking at it that it's going to be the values, the price is going to be too high for me to get any value out of it. Mm-hmm. If you were drafting tomorrow, would, would you say, I, I agree that his ADP is probably going to go up, but do you think you'd uh, you'd pull the trigger at that ADP? Yeah, I think I would. I, I think the one concern that I do have, and I don't know if you share this or not, but I, I the power, how legit is the power? Yeah. That's a, a fair question. Uh, looking at Fangraph's hard hit rate of 26.5%, uh, not great. Uh, ground ball percentage of near 50%. So can he repeat the, the power output that he had last year? Uh, he had a 143 ISO, so it's not like he was... Uh, a huge asset in that category. But uh, just to give you Steamer's projections again, 15, 28, 258. Now that looks damn good. That's mm-hmm. for, for his price. That that looks pretty good. So uh, we'll see where the other projections land on him. But uh, definitely will be a guy that people debate heavily, I think, this offseason. All right. Uh, the closer, well, you know, we talked quite a bit about that with Nick. Doesn't look like uh, we really have no idea at this point. It, Nick didn't sound confident that that closer is on the roster currently. Uh, let's see. Mark Melanson is going at 559. Oh, uh, my. Joe, Joe Mantiply, 613. You know, I, I, I think they're going to look to bring somebody in according to what Nick is saying. You threw out Kendall Graveman as a name, and, and Nick seemed to agree that that's uh, a guy or the type of guy that they'd be looking to acquire, that that proven closer. I just keep going back. Like Alex Colome, he is, like to me, the epitome of like the, the crusty old veteran who's going to find a job somewhere, even though he's not good. Uh, but uh, I don't know. Maybe they bring in a guy like him. Uh, so I think there's a lot to be determined there. Um, any thoughts on the closing situation as it stands now, Mike? Yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, you and I kind of talked about this offline a little bit, you know, that uh, Hazen seems to have kind of a guy that he has in mind, that, a type of guy that he's looking for in this role, you know. And the thing that surprises me is that they don't sign somebody that they then can easily flip at the trade deadline and try to get another piece to the puzzle there, right? So a guy like Colum, it makes a lot of sense. Um, we talked about Kendall Graveman. I jokingly said in the in the interview, trade Graveman for Alec Thomas straight up. I don't think anybody would really do that, but it just was the first thing that kind of popped in my mind. Um, I would agree that the, the current closer does not seem to be on this roster, but my question for Mike Hazen, if I had him in front of me, would be, why isn't he? I mean, why not try to develop one of these younger guys that is coming up through the minor leagues and use them as your closer as opposed to spending 10 or $12 million to bring in somebody aftermarket, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it could be yeah, – he mentioned Ken Giles as a guy. Like, I don't think a player like that is going to be expensive. He kind of fits the bill, right? He's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, he has kind of a power pitcher, I think. Nick kept using that, that terminology. Uh, he's a proven closer, and he's going to come cheap. So, 
he's a uh, potentially a guy that they could look at. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. It, I, in my opinion, it doesn't make sense to go outside when you have some intriguing arms. They mentioned this guy, Jordan Martinez, who is on the 40 man. Um, uh, so he might be someone to just keep an eye on. I see he's got a super high walk rate, so that might uh, limit any potential with him. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll be paying close attention to how things shake out in that bullpen, uh, and they could check out your work, right, Mike? I mean, you'll you'll be on top of it. There's plenty of guys out in the fantasy space doing that work. So yeah, it's a that's a pretty yucky bullpen to cover in the last couple of years, Chris, for sure. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's one that when you're writing the piece on the week and you're like, God, do I really have to do this? But you do because people are looking for saves anywhere they can get them, and so we'll be covering it for sure. Uh, as soon as we know what's going on there, a little bit more detail. Yeah, I had like heartburn as he was like listening through some of the guys that they've gone through. I mean, Rodney, Soria, uh, Kennedy, Melanson. Like it's it, it hasn't been pretty. So uh, hopefully it's not the same situation this year, but odds are that it will be um, for sure. All right. So uh, any anything else? Any other quick thoughts before we wrap up here, Mike? Any takeaways or anything else just related to the Diamondbacks from a fantasy perspective? You know, I think, uh, first of all, I want to really make sure that we thank Nick again for his time because he was fantastic and yeah. uh, really was helpful to us in answering a lot of those questions. I think there's a lot of really big question marks on this team that we don't really know how playing time is going to shake out. And it's going to be really interesting to kind of watch early on to see how they go about their business. I mean, one guy that they don't talk about at all on here that's really interesting is, is Christian Walker, right? I mean, and he had a ton of home runs last year. What's his role going to be? Is he going to play first base? What's going to happen with that? It's going to be a really interesting team to follow. Um, and there's going to be some definite nuggets there that we can use as fantasy players to help our teams as we get into the season and as we start drafting here. Uh, hopefully around Thanksgiving, you and I were talking about. So, you know, we didn't even talk to Nick about Christian Walker, and he was probably he was one of the most valuable Diamondbacks last year. Just quickly, want to get your thoughts. Um, is he someone that you would draft as a first baseman, uh, or do you think he's more of like a corner infield uh, type player for you? I had him last year in a couple places as a corner infielder flyer, and obviously that paid off pretty well for me. I would not feel mm -hmm. comfortable with him as my starting first baseman, no. Okay. All right. Yeah, I mean, he had he had an amazing year. 36 home runs, 94 RBIs. Average was a little bit low. Babbitt, though, was also uh, pretty low. He's projected for 28, 91, uh, 252 batting average. So solid, uh, you know, and he's a guy I, I can't get over. it. I have his fan graphs page up right now, and I, I feel like I always get hung up on this. They still have his future value. You know how they rate the prospects on, a, mm -hmm. uh, on the, the 180 scale. He's a 35 plus future value. And I don't know why this is still here. He's not a prospect. He's 31 freaking years old. But right, I feel like right. for the entirety of Christian Walker's career, I've like been hung up on that. Even last year when I saw that he had some good underlying numbers, I'm like, oh, it's Christian Walker. He's only a 35, you know? <laughs> and right. uh, it just kind of stuck with me. But man, he's a, he's a decent player, um, you know? And I, I think. Let's just pull up his ADP real quick right here. I think he's in the the hundreds, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so he is at 147. So uh, in that probably like third tier of first baseman. So probably, like you said, not someone I'll be targeting as my 
uh, starting first baseman, but definitely a, a good corner infield option. And then right below him is Josh Rojas quickly. We didn't even mention his name. He's eligible at second and third, going at an ADP of 162. Going to give you some steals, but I have some question marks about him as a hitter. What say you, Mike? Yeah, same thing. I mean, I had him in a couple of places last year. He's a great Swiss Army knife to have on your team if you need to plug and play somebody uh, for a few days or for a couple of weeks. Uh, the power I worry about, I mean, I think he hit three of his home runs were in one game against the Cubs. Um, you know, so I'm not really sure how that's going to play out. And, and again, he's another one of these guys that's got a question mark about playing time. Now, I guess we'll have to see how that works out. If they trade Marte and they trade one of those outfielders, there might be a chance for him to get some playing time there. Right, right. Yeah, still a lot to sort out here. We'll see what the Diamondbacks do this offseason. But, Mike, we are going to wrap up. Any any work you got um, uh, to plug or, or anything that you want to share with our listeners before we end? Well, just that you can find me with the worst Twitter handle of all time on Twitter, at MDRC0508. We've talked about this number of times. So I'm not going to change it just because it's sort of become uh, – my shtick, I guess, if you if you want to call it that. Um, I am going to be doing some work with Fantrax still again this offseason. I'm going to work on some uh, some arms that you guys might be looking at for next year, some people that might be flying under the radar right now that uh, could walk into some save situations on their current teams. Um, I'm not going to give you any highlights of that yet just because I've got four or five guys that I'm kind of taking deeper dives on and hope to be able to get that out here in the next week or so. All right, very good. Well, we're, we'll be looking forward to it. So I uh, just want to thank everybody for listening uh, and uh, just want to preview our next podcast. We got a White Sox podcast coming out next week, right before Thanksgiving. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, but that is it for Carlos, for Mike, for me. Thank you for listening to the Fantasy Baseball Beat. <laughs>